Okay, so welcome to our uh, our first episode of the Uncomfortable Silence podcast. Um, we've been looking forward to doing this for a while now, and glad we're finally getting around to it. Um, today, we kind of we wanted to just open up what uh, what we want to do with our new project and what our intentions are, and share a little bit about ourselves and what we've gone through and why we think we are qualified to talk on these topics. Um, anything? Yeah, so I'm Mark Champagne. I'm Quentin's father, and we come at this topic from diff different angles and what we experienced, Quentin, as a young man, and I as a husband and father and as an adult, uh, but certainly vulnerable to many, many pitfalls that come with dealing with people with illness or mental illness. And we hope that by sharing our experience that you know uh, people out there, you're not alone, whether it's your children, yourself, as advocates or as people experience this. So um, today's the start of this, and we hope it's helpful to many people. Yeah, and what I want, to, uh, my goal with this is to try and reach any, any kids or even adults maybe that are unsure with their kids, but any kids that are going through depression, anxiety, anything like that, um, to know that it's never worth even wanting to take your own life, but let alone taking your own life because this world has so much more to give and suicide will never be the answer and it's an ongoing problem in the country and I think one that we can have a real big impact on just by sharing our own experiences. Um, so when... I mean, I'd say, what, around 14 it started to heat up for me when um, mom was diagnosed with dementia. I think I was 14, so six years ago. Yeah, we, we at first didn't know what was wrong with Cindy. We thought uh, because she had three strains of Lyme disease that it was something that would be cured. We had a great doctor, so um, we were getting help with treatment of Lyme. And uh, we started seeing signs, though, uh, when Quentin was much younger. I know as a, um, as a husband, I wasn't very good at handling what I perceived to be a lack of interest in other things. But obviously, later, we found out more about that. And that's something that um, was almost embarrassing looking back on as the way I handled it. So it, we hope that by, you know, we're going to be very honest in our podcast. We're going to kind of bear our soul to people because we know it's hard to deal with these things. And I think if we had been able to do that maybe sooner, I could have helped um, not just Cindy more, but I could have helped Quentin and therefore myself. So I think when I was 14, it started like noticeably, we knew something was going on. Um, she would leave me, it's like simple things like at practice. Uh, I wouldn't have a ride home. I'd get left at practice or uh, I'd supposed to be getting picked up from a friend's house and uh, she would forget to pick me up or she couldn't find her way there. So we knew something was going on um, and handling it the right way, as um, my dad just mentioned, uh, I handled it horribly. I would get angry, but I was a young kid. We didn't know what was going on. So I think we started, she saw a bunch of doctors before they finally said, you know, we think it might be some kind of dementia. And once we learned that, things started all kind of falling into place. But that was hard for me to deal with as a young kid. I mean, every single kid is getting picked up from practice, and I'm sitting there wondering where, uh, where my mom is. But obviously it wasn't her fault, but at the time you never know anything, anything about that. And I didn't even know what dementia was 
I mean, we didn't have any relatives that went through it. And I feel like that's when you learn about a lot of those diseases is when you or someone you know goes through like goes through having dementia or having Alzheimer's. Otherwise, you really don't know what it is. Um, but as it progressed, when I turned 15, 16, it just it kept getting worse and getting worse quickly. She would uh, hallucinate in the house. So she would look in the mirror and she would see someone else. She wasn't seeing herself. She thought it was another person. So she would stand, stand in front of the mirror and talk to it for, I mean, we watched it go on for hours, just having a conversation with a person. And we didn't know what was going on. Or she would sit at the computer and she thought she'd be talking to people, but the computer wouldn't even be on. So it was a lot of... I guess weird would be the way to describe it. A lot of weird stuff that as a 15, 16-year-old kid, you're being asked to handle and being asked to understand. And there's no under, I mean, there's no understanding that at that age until you go through it. So I think that's probably what was hardest on me was I was trying to understand it, but couldn't, you can't understand that. Uh, we went, uh, Quentin mentioned, uh, mentioned doctors and, you know, we, we won't try to play doctors on this topic. We're just talking from our viewpoint. But I can say that we had one general practitioner. Cindy came home one day and said that the doctor thought it was menopause. And that's when I started going to appointments because not that I have a full understanding of that either, but I knew we were viewing and seeing many things that we knew didn't really fit the menopause conversation. So. Doctors, as well-intentioned as they are, as capable and so on, um, I still think dementia is something that's kind of a new frontier, a lot like Lyme disease, which we don't know if that's what caused Cindy's dementia. But um, I think that, like I said earlier, we had a great doctor with the Lyme once we uncovered that's what it was. And um, even trying to share information with Quentin as at his young age, and it didn't really give him a good explanation for what we were seeing at home. The um, Looking in the mirror, that was Anna. That was a second person that my wife would actually talk to in the microwave uh, glass, a mirror in the bathroom, or a car glass. She would actually think someone was in her car at times and so on. So as absurd as these things can sound, um, and they did to us when we were watching them, it was real, and once we identified or were told more about what was going on, I think we found it wasn't, it, we were able to put it in a box better. And Quentin did a good job of when Cindy would talk to furniture, we would try to find humor, play along with it, um, instead of me being the bad spouse, being confrontational with it. Um, but there was, in every situation is different, but our biggest challenge, or for me as an adult, was the embarrassment. Was I, you know, a, a bad spouse? Or um, our neighbor one day uh, called because she was helping Cindy look for knives in the bushes, and um, we realized that there were a lot more things going on than we were capable of handling. But we we took videos so I could show the doctor. Um, and it was, it was quite a ride. But I think Quentin, um, a very emotional ride that he can speak to better. And um, 
even as a young guy watching his parents argue over things that probably didn't make sense to him and because they didn't make sense to me so yeah. yeah so over so when I was 15 I mean obviously a lot of stuff going on a lot of stuff to process uh, almost impossible to process but uh, when I was 15 I just fell into like a really really dark state almost I would call it it's um it was I just felt like the world just it sucked there's no other way really to put it I just every day I'd wake up I'd feel awful um I'd go to school I would I had unreal friends in school just great people but I would not want to spend time with them I they would piss me off they'd say something and I just I hated being at school I'd go to basketball I which at that time basketball was one of my favorite hobbies and I would hate being at basketball and as it went on more and more I just realized I stopped liking doing everything that I once used to like to do I loved hanging out with my friends I loved playing basketball and those things just became something that felt like more of a hassle than it did a hobby so when I was 15 probably going on 16 I I would just start, I started napping a real lot. I'd lock myself in my room. I'd, I'd sleep all day because I felt like that was a better alternative than being awake just because of how much pain I was in mentally. I would, I would try to sleep as much as I could because when I was sleeping, I couldn't feel, I couldn't feel any of the pain that came with uh, what we learned to be depression. So when I was 15, um, we weren't, we weren't really like, we weren't that close yet. I mean, it's hard to be close with an, you know, an older man when you're 15 years old, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But through this experience, we got uh, a lot closer. And when people ask what our relationship is like now, I say, um, that it's more of like a, a brother type relationship than it is a father son, which is really, it's special now. But before that it was, you would work a lot all day, and then you would coach basketball at night. So during the winter, I mean, I was just home with uh, dealing with my mother, who was really sick most of the time, and it was uh, it was a very hard, very hard process. So one night, my mom went to bed early, and uh, you were supposed to be at practice late, but you called practice early because you didn't think uh, your team really wanted to be there. So you, you called, called practice early and sent them home. And when you came home was when I, I had made my first attempt at committing suicide, my first and only. Um, but I was attempting to stab myself with a, a kitchen knife. That's how much pain I was in that I actually wanted to not only exit the world, but exit the world in one of the most painful and excruciating ways that like you could imagine. Stabbing yourself with a knife, I mean just has to be one of the most brutal ways but that's how much pain I was in that I really I didn't want to live anymore I thought not being in the world was going to be a better option which I've learned now is never the case but you came home and that was the first time that I actually saw more of like oh he is kind of a person he uh you know you started crying and you you didn't care about yourself or anything else, but you just didn't want to see your son in pain. And even at 15, about probably a week later, I was thinking just how suicide 
it's not only yourself that you're affecting, you impact others just as much. And I, I'm a very uh, sensitive person. I, I care a lot about other people, but I never wanted to hurt anybody else with my actions. I just didn't want to be in any kind of pain anymore. That's all I cared about because when you are depressed, you don't think of other people. You think of, you know, the own pain that you're going through and the own struggle that you're going through. And with this project, I think what I want to do is make people realize that there are thousands of people going through struggles the same way. But when you are depressed, it's hard to think like that. And um, I know you probably want to speak more to that. but Well, I think from the parent end, um, like Quentin said, it's very difficult to... I mean, that wasn't something that happened and then I was told about it. It was right in front of my face. It's pretty... Uh, there's no candy coating it when it's right in front of you. You're well aware of the possible repercussions and knowing every action has a reaction and so on. And a lot of those cliches come right into the front. But I think, you know, now we we were aware of how much discomfort. And Quentin masked his things pretty good. I mean, I've always done that um, growing up in an raised by a single Irish mom who grin and bear it and, you know, suck it up and all those things. And I think um, Quentin probably had a little bit of that in him, but then this was too much. He, um, he couldn't mask it anymore, and it was right out in front. So in a horrible way, that was a good thing. I think it became something obvious to both of us that he didn't have to really explain it. It was obviously how he felt. And we then, um, we went to the doctor trying to get, um, get some sharing from him on maybe how Quentin was feeling and whether there was something, you know, did he need medical help? And um, I'll let Quentin talk about the actual interaction with the doctor and then I'll kind of come back and talk about how I felt about it. Yeah, so, um, so we went to the doctors and again, I'm a 15-year-old I'm a young kid. Um, but I, I was overweight, uh, not, I wasn't real fat, but I was overweight. I wasn't eating healthy at home. Um, I wasn't doing my physical exercise anymore. I wasn't doing any of the things that keep you as a human being healthy and what you're just supposed to do everyday living, just being in shape or I, w I wasn't doing any of those. So when we, we went to the doctors and, um, the doctor pretty much gave, two options. He said you should either go into a, you know, an institution, it would be the word, where uh, other kids are and they'll help you through this. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what, what he really, and, and this is, as, as parents know, they take the child in with them. Yeah. And then you're sitting outside waiting. It's not a very comfortable situation. I'm not critiquing the doctor's approach. That's, they know more than I do. But, um, and then the other option. Quentin. Yeah, so, the, so it was two options. It was either you go into a place where a bunch of kids are feeling the same way and doctors are there and they'll help you through it. Or it was met, you get to stay at home and we'll put you on uh, medication. Um, so we chose the medication route, which um, to me, the, the medications had horrible side effects on me. I just, I was not feeling like a regular person anymore once I was taking them. And it was 
it was an awful experience for me. Um, I'm sure for a lot of people that the medication is is an answer and does help them, but for me, it wasn't the answer. And the, the problem I had with just being put on medication with really no other conversation was there was no conversation about like, hey, like, how are you, how are you eating when you're at home? Like, do you eat healthy or do you wake up and eat a couple donuts every day? Because if you wake up and eat, if you eat a donut, you're going to feel worse than if you woke up and ate a good healthy breakfast. You're just, you're going to feel worse at the time. So there was no conversation about nutrition. There was no conversation about my physical fitness. Um, there was no conversation like, hey, are you doing any type of breathing exercises? Are you doing any, you know, anything that would help you just clear your mind? Do you sit and think? Uh, there was none of that. It just, it was immediately, you know, uh, I think you should be on medication, which if for me, it just, it wasn't the answer. And now as I've grown up and gone through it, uh, as I get more and more into physical fitness and nutrition, I realize that there's so much that goes into your mental health that is beyond just your brain. It's what you, it's the videos that you watch. It's what you eat. It's how you work out. It's how you sleep, what time you get up in the morning, uh, what time you go to bed, how much you use your phone and social media, which those are all topics I think we hope to talk about more and what we've learned with them. Um, but there was no conversation about any of that. I would stay up every night on my phone till, till 3 a.m. because it was just, you weren't, I wasn't thinking and it was something better than going outside and seeing uh, my mom who was very sick. So, but there was no conversation about any of that. The first thing was just go to drugs. And for me, it had a very worse, it had a horrible impact. And that was my main problem with it. Just the lack of conversation about any other options other than you have to go somewhere away from home or you have to take drugs. Yeah, and I'm, Again, we're not speaking for anyone else, but as someone myself that grew up never taking anything because that's... And my mom's a nurse. Uh, she was a nurse, but we never took anything. Um, and I'm not saying medications aren't great for some people, but we had um, an interesting moment where I took Quentin out of school for a couple of days and he went with me to Florida. We were driving my elderly friend home, so we stayed there with him for a couple of days and... I was laughing the whole time, and Quentin was having a great time. Alan's uh, very close to us both, he was. And I realized that Quentin, like many people, he had a really hard stuff going on in his life. And that the things that were happening were depressing. They were very depressing. And it was very hard to get up off the couch. And for me, I, I slept on the couch or in the hallway for seven years, worried about Cindy running here or there, that was depressing. But for a young guy to go through that, and then so on our Florida trip, we realized that oh, we need to find, we had to find ways to make the day better. And I think that was the new approach for us. All the things that Quentin already mentioned with eating, exercise, but also attitude, uh, from his dad, attitude from his dad toward his sick mom, uh, setting a better example of taking care of his mom. Um, and it became, I think, a situation we were going to learn from 
more than we were going to allow it to beat us. And I think that was important. Yeah, so I started, uh, I started learning more about all that stuff, about physical health and uh, nutrition, and I started, I, I started doing really well after that. I said, I don't want to be on medication. I just I want to feel good. And um, so fast forward a year, and uh, I'm doing really well. We had changed schools to try and get me out of the house a little bit more because uh, my mom was getting more care in the home and there was a lot of stuff going on so we thought uh, maybe a change of scenery would help a lot and i think we could both agree now that that was uh, probably the best thing that we did was getting me out of the house as much as we could and uh i was doing i was doing really well i was doing much better i got into shape i actually i got i was really skinny compared to what i used to be and um i was doing well and then uh the whole covid thing hit which was just um, when you're already someone that like battles with, uh, mental challenges and then you throw in something like you can't leave your house for uh, a couple weeks and you have that challenge going on at home. I mean, the, it's the most challenging thing. You're just around the clock watching a, uh, basically taking care of a, a sick woman when you're not, when you're not doctors. Um, so yeah, COVID was a really hard time for me and all those thoughts and ideas and depression stuff, it kind of got forced onto me where I was forced to start to stay in my room. And that was the worst thing for me when I was depressed was just staying in my room. And it got taken away from me where I couldn't, I couldn't even go, I couldn't go work out, which was something that I started to fall in love with. And that got taken away from me. So all those challenges and mental uh, battles started to come back. And, um, yeah, I fell back into that depressed state during COVID. And, uh, this time it was, again, I, uh, I don't like to share my problems with people. I, or I used to because I felt, and you feel this way too, because I know we've talked about it, but you're afraid that people will judge not so much what you're going through, but maybe how you react to it. Um, and we, so I, I learned that by, by opening up, it actually makes it way easier. So during COVID, I reconnected with uh, my friends from home who are, again, just outstanding kids. You've known all of them since we were young. I mean, the group of families, it doesn't get much better than the friends I have from home. So it was one night I, um, I texted my coworker, uh, now works with us, Paul. Um, I texted him on his birthday. I just said, hey, man, uh, happy birthday. Thinking of you. I was just sitting in my room, and I, well, I was thinking of them. Um, we were really good friends when we were younger. We kind of lost touch just because of switching schools. And he, um, he added me back into a group chat that all my friends were in. And he said, uh, I'm going to add you back into this so that when we hang out, when all this COVID stuff's over, uh, you come and hang out with us because we all miss you. We talk about you uh, a lot. And I was like, you know, okay. Um, in my head, I was like, I'm not going to go hang out with them or – I was like, I, I, I wasn't really feeling it, but I was like, all right, I'll, uh, I'll bite. And uh, this group chat of just guys, you know, saying goofy things or talking during COVID is actually what got me through COVID because I was able to just talk to my friends 24-7. And I guess that's the positive side of social media, that um, this group chat was my outlet to everything else going on at home. So... 
I was texting these guys one day, and uh, they hadn't seen me in a couple years, and they didn't know anything of that was going on with uh, my mom, but my mom loved these kids growing up. I mean, I, I can't say how, like, how great of kids. The, like, my, my mom just loved who they were, and she loved being around them. So I figured I texted one day. I was like, you know what? These guys deserve to, to know uh, what's going on with her and what's going on at home. And I just I texted them. One day I just said, hey, uh, my mom's really sick. She's got dementia. Um, pretty much she's dying, and in a couple of years she's going to slip. And um, I told them that it's been really hard on me, and their response is probably one of the main reasons that I'm still alive and able to do this podcast and share my experiences because every single one of those guys – uh, texted me that day and said if there was anything they could do to help to let them know and if our family ever needs any kind of help whether it would be just to talk to someone money anything they offered immediately without without seeing me for the last two years so um that said a lot about who they were but what I really learned from that was that if you have good people in your life and and you're willing to share about what's going on, people will understand and they will try and offer to help. And uh, there there was no negative impact of me telling them what was going on. There, I only saw positive things from from sharing what uh, what had been taking place. So I'm, I'm really grateful for those guys. And um, they're still those are all my best friends today. And and they'll know who they are listening to this, but those guys, yeah, they they saved me just from just from being themselves. And what really saved me was being able to open up about it and just send that text. Yeah, it was kind of a secret in our house for a long time, other than our neighbors kind of, and we have wonderful neighbors. But there was a lot of angels on our path that um, Quentin had his group as he spoke to. And I remember... Uh, we were meeting a friend of mine, good friend. We were meeting him at a restaurant, and Cindy was coming in a different car. And I had been telling him kind of bits and pieces about what was going on, and everyone kind of, oh, no, it's not bad, you know, the Lyme disease. And so you almost have to make that decision. You're either going to share more or you're going to shut down a little bit because they're not really hearing you. Um, and these are good people, good friends. And so as an adult, you have your group too. And we met them at a restaurant. They were watching uh, their son play tennis somewhere. And Cindy came in and she was 20 minutes late. And, and Cindy was extremely bright. So um, we knew something was going on with Cindy when, uh, you know, she couldn't find her way somewhere or even staring at the computer. She's an ID, IT person who um, nothing but straight A's, the type of person that really bothered me, saying they think they got did really bad on a test and probably got one wrong since I wasn't that type of student. But we meet at the restaurant, and she can't remember her daughter's age when my friend asked. She had trouble reading the menu. And that was the day that my friend realized, you know, shit, there's a lot more going on here. I, I didn't realize and then they'd talk about Quentin different. They'd say, well, now they wanted to know more. They wanted to find out. So how does he possibly handle that? So in the same way, Quentin opening up to his friends, and young people are 
just great with being empathetic and they had good parents and I didn't know a lot of their parents other than waving to them at a sports game as kids or when the kids were young. But um, this opened the door for my friends too and um, those we, we are very fortunate. And a lot of people, a lot of Quinton's friends' parents really looked out, communicated with me, um, and walked that line of not being intrusive, but really offering their help if needed. We were part of a lacrosse group that uh, the parents were really, really great. Um, the one story I'll tell about them is I think Quinton went from Maryland to, uh, and I might be getting the cities mixed up, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, I think, and we got, I got a call, our friend was taking care of Cindy, she ran off, she got scared and ran off, was hearing voices, and I had to go home from Philadelphia, I left, and all those people stepped up, and we're always uh, forever grateful to what those people did. Yeah, so um, when I was 17 now, uh, yeah, uh, 18, uh, going the end of high school, um, I actually, it was, we went back midway through my senior year of high school. We went back after not uh, being in school for about half a year or maybe a year with COVID. Uh, we went back. So I got half my senior year. We went uh, back to school. And with maybe uh, a month left of school, uh, my mother got put into hospice care. Does, does that sound right? The time, a month left, I'd say? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. She, uh, she had been in a nursing home. Yeah. I'm sorry. She yeah. had been in the hospital for over a year at Norwood Hospital and then in a nursing home. Yeah. So she was in a nursing home for my whole junior year of high school. Should have probably said that first, but... So my senior year, towards the end of it, with about a month left, she got put into hospice care, which um, that was basically, it was the end. Um, they were keeping her alive a little bit, right? Um, they were keeping she her was, going. She was going through the hospice experience. She actually, um, I won't say the words right, so I won't try, but no, they were, um, we were letting her go. And to Quentin's credit, he visited her, I think it was on Mother's Day. Yeah. Um, I vi well, I visit so I visited her two times in the last uh, the last month. But she was in um, she was in hospice care, and um, I I was actually I I don't know they might have let me graduate anyways because of how COVID was. But I was bombing just about every single class in school just because of how much was going on at home and um, how challenging it was and the last thing on my mind was school but again I um I'm a, I have a lot of pride as a person I take I do take pride in just about anything I do if I'm gonna do something I want to do really well in it but school was the the last thing that I was thinking about but uh my pride got in the way I didn't want to tell anybody what was going on um so I I basically just came I became okay with the fact that I might uh, might be forced to stay in high school. I just, I was okay with it because I was, that was the least of my worries going on in life.
But um, my dad decided, and maybe you can talk to why you decided to do it, but my dad decided to send an email to my guidance counselor and my principal at Bridgewater a High School who were both outstanding and the head of guidance was outstanding and extremely helpful the last month. But he decided to send an email um, just telling them, hey, um, you know, uh, Quentin's mom got put into hospice care any day. You know, we wouldn't be surprised if we get a, uh, a phone call saying that she's gone. And you just wanted to make them aware of it, right? I'll let you Yeah, say so we had, um, when Quentin started attending his sophomore year at BR, we had a contact that introduced us or made it easier to meet the guidance counselor. And we did this through the Compassion Act um, where we could, if accepted, Caregiver, right? No, the uh, yeah. Compassion Act in Massachusetts and... Um, as long as Quinton was accepted, he could attend that high school. And they were more than welcoming, and uh, Mrs. Dooley was great. And Quinton was always honest at home with, he was really struggling with different things. It wasn't a secret. Um, he and I had learned to kind of put the crap on the table and deal with it. But outside the walls, it was still very hard. So... Um, I reached out to the guidance department and I copied the principal. Uh, like Quentin said, they're uh, just outstanding people. And that kind of made a bridge with their guidance and the teachers. Um, I'd say the teachers were 100% helpful, empathetic, um, and I think it took a little pressure off Quentin. Yeah, so my, uh, my guidance counselor called me down one day, and um, she told me about the, uh, the email she got. She, she showed it to me, and so she asked me, she was like, so what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I, I don't want to do anything. Uh, I'm good. And she was like, well, I could, uh, I could email your teachers telling them, you know, what's going on, and uh, just not telling them to, to do anything, not telling them to give me an A, not telling them to not give me any homework. But she was like, I, I can just tell them what's going on or forward them this email. And I was like, no, uh, I'm, I'm all set. I don't want uh, any special treatment or anything. I, I'm all set. So I, le I left her office that day, and she called me down again later on that day. And she, she kind of talked me into having that email sent to them. And she, she was as nice as it gets as a person, um, Mrs. Smith, I, I can't remember her first name, and Mrs. Dooley talked to me too, and I was like, all right, um, you know, th that's all right, I'll let, basically let, let you send the email, and so she did, she sent it out to all my teachers, and again, it was another example of how opening up can just make everything easier, because it completely took the stress of school off of me. I remember I left her office and one class later, I went into um, my calculus class with a teacher, um, Leanne Cooley, who was just the sweetest person. And um, she, in class, she just, she came over to me and she was like, hey, we're all taking a test right now, but I'm going to give it to you. Uh, you can do it or not do it, but I'm not going to grade it. And... Um, I was like, well, why, why not? And she was like, I want you to worry about what's going on at home because life is always going to be more important than work or school. 
And those were pretty much her exact words to me. I might have got one or two things wrong, but um, that's pretty much what she said to me. And I was like, all right, you know what? Uh, I think she's right. What's going on at home is more important than being here in school and taking a test on calculus, which I had no interest in anyways. But so I kind of realized that that email was a good thing. And just by opening up again, one weight was already lifted off my shoulders and uh, after school that day, I went to lacrosse practice, which uh, lacrosse, I played only my senior year for the high school, and I absolutely loved it. It was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, and uh, my coach, who was a teacher at the school, Coach Conley, he, uh, he pulled me out of practice. Not out of practice. He pulled me to the side during a drill. And he was like, hey, how you doing? And I was like, yeah, good. How are you? And he was like, he was like oh, I'm good. I... Uh, I just, I was wondering, you know, how's school, what's going on? And I was like, oh, school's good, uh, everything's good. And he was like, all right, I'm not going to make you uh, talk or anything. I just want you to know I got an email today, and I'm always going to be here. You know, I care about you. And uh, he was like, all right, go go back into, get back in the drill. And that was the last we ever we ever spoke of it. We never talked about it ever again. But he just wanted me to know that he was there, and he cared. And, um... He was one of the nicest guys, and I never went to him during practice, but in school, uh, I had popped by the class once or twice just saying hi, and uh, the assistant coach I had for class, and he was great too. With He had almost the same conversation with me, and um, he was very helpful with me in class, and those two guys were just so good to me during that time. And uh, it was just by opening up and telling them what was going on. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, as someone that's coached most of my life to see, you know, we always talk about words like leadership and so on, but to see these people at Clinton's High School, including the athletic director, who was also um, not intrusive, but looking out for Clinton. And I think that's the best way to say it. He had parents of some of his peer group at school. He developed another friend group. Um, and that, that support, like even the coach, Quinton coming home and sharing the story with the coach, I never revisited uh, the conversation with the coach because I was confident through Quinton's words that the coach was doing everything he could to make Quinton feel more comfortable. And not only did I appreciate it like any parent would, but from a coaching standpoint, that spring experience that Quinton had probably uh, allowed Quinton to handle what was going on with his mom uh, better than any other experience could have. That was really uh, just a great experience. So those coaches were, with the other school people, were certainly angels on our path. Yeah, so a week a week later we were um we were playing against uh Zavarian at home in a lacrosse game and uh I played I played the whole game. It was a it was I mean, as far as high school lacrosse games go, it was a awesome game and uh but I played that whole game um not knowing that right when the game was starting my mother had passed away. Um yeah. so after the game I was on the field, and um, my dad came over uh, right after the game. We were getting ready. To, we were going to go on a team huddle and then go home, and my dad came over with a, with a water. It was a hot day, and he came over with a water, 
And uh, all he said, he said, your mom would have loved that game. And I was like, right, dude. Like, that was a little weird, kind of a mood killer. But I had no idea why, uh, why he was saying that. But I was like, all right, weirdo. See you later. And then um, when I got home that day was when um, I walked in and you were in the kitchen again crying. And when I see him crying, it's like, I mean, the first time was weird enough, but then I'm like, all right, now I know something's going on. And um, he was like, all right, it finally happened. And I was like, what? Uh, BR almost beat Zavarian in lacrosse? And he was like, no, uh, your mom passed away. Like, about 10 minutes before your lacrosse game started, I got the call, and I didn't want to tell you or anything during the game. And I was like, no, I I didn't want want to know during the game. But, um, so yeah, it, it finally happened, and... He just told me in the kitchen, and we went our separate ways. And I sat down in in my uh, in my room, and I just I felt in a weird way. It almost was like a relief off my shoulders because I knew that she wasn't gonna be in any more pain or struggling, and um, and she finally would just be able to rest. And now I could also try to move forward. It was like. After four or five years of just watching her go from, you know, one of the nicest, uh, most beautiful humans that I've ever met to she was, by the end of it, she was in a wheelchair. She couldn't walk. She couldn't move at all. And I was just, I was so relieved that she wouldn't have to live like that. And that also I wouldn't have to live just watching her fade away. It was a a feel of relief and for the next month it was it felt like that until about a month later it hit that okay she's dead and uh that's a whole nother wave of emotions to deal with not knowing or knowing that you're never going to be able to see anyone again yeah i think we had and again this podcast is to give an adult verse young man's view um, no matter what the topic that we're actually specifying. And for me, Cindy wasn't the person that I knew or married or however you want to put that. Once I realized she was not going to get better and, and a doctor, a great, she was a great um, help to me. There was, they had taken Cindy to uh, the hospital a few times from the nursing home, a couple of times with COVID, um, couple times with other things, and doctors are really tight-lipped on what's going on. No one really talked to me. I couldn't tell Quentin anything. All we knew was she had dementia. We don't know what the, was there anything better. We realized it wasn't going to get better at some point. But this doctor from the hospital called me and he said, I want you to prepare yourself and your son that I think she should go into hospice. And this was the first time that we really knew... um, or it was real. This was not going to get any better. And I, I really hadn't looked at Cindy for seven, eight years. I just finally at some point realized this was my responsibility and be a better person and learn how to be a, a caretaker and, you know, watch your son first as the priority versus just worrying about, you know, you're always worried about finances. You're always worried about what's going on and making ends meet. We had challenges like that, just like anyone does. Um, But that was when Cindy passed. There was a lot of relief 
like there would be for any long illness that you didn't, you knew there wasn't going to be a happy ending. Um, it wasn't a lack of hope. It wasn't a lack of having a good attitude on our end. It was the reality that I can't, and I still wouldn't be able to know how Quentin's brain processed it, and I think that's what he's dealing with as a young man, or me as an adult. And I had to um, grow up in a different way. You, you never stop growing if you're willing to, and um, Cindy's illness and Quentin's handling of the illness was something I learned how to grow differently in a different direction than I would have otherwise if this never happened. I wish it never happened. I'm not, uh, Cindy, like Quentin said, was very sweet. Had a low expectation for happiness. Loved, like Quentin said, loved watching him and his peer group play sports. Gave her great joy. She took great pride in being a, a very good student and then, um, you know, being a good mom and uh, supporting her son. This was a, a battle for her. This was some, maybe someday we'll talk more about that. This was not, um, nowhere's Ozzy and Harriet. Our house was certainly not that. I guess that's an old man reference, but people will know what I'm saying. And so to watch Quentin's peer group support him to this day on these topics as he learns to put things in the right place. I think he's become very close with many people as he's grown in this experience also. Yeah, I mean, with any life challenge that, um, that happens, you, you learn, you either, you basically either go one of two ways with it. You either learn from it and become, um, become a better, better version of yourself or you go the opposite way and let yourself fall into a, uh, into a very vulnerable vulnerable position, but I think today we just wanted to share um, what we what we went through and uh, why we are doing this. And the the main reason that both of us agreed we're doing this was um, that we felt like it's something that could keep her alive. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but. It's something that we felt like would keep her alive and that uh, we owed to other people and to ourselves to share about what we went through and um, how it affected us. And I mean, I wouldn't be the, uh, the person that I am today without this experience. And uh, we wouldn't have the relationship that we do today if it wasn't for this experience. So... Um, yeah, we hope in the future to talk about uh, more stuff on our life experiences, whether it be uh, me dealing with how social media affected my, uh, my mental battles or how since her passing, how that's been a challenge for us and how we've dealt with that. Um, but we hope to talk to uh, a lot of people, too, that maybe have uh, also had experiences that have changed them and maybe they haven't shared that with many people but I think the more that we share our experiences and the more that we talk to one another the more people will realize that they aren't alone and that everybody's got stuff going on just some people choose not to talk about it 
Uh, but we wanted to take a, a different spin, I think, on the whole mental health topic. We, I mean, I watch a lot of uh, stuff that goes on with a lot of people are doing stuff for it. And um, a lot of people talk about how to, to deal with depression and anxiety once you have it. But a big thing that we've learned is that there's ways to prevent ever having those, um, those battles just by being the healthiest version of you that you can be and eating right and, uh, you know, working out right. And we want to share what we've learned with other people. And we're, we're never going to pretend to be doctors or like we know more than we do. But uh, we will share our opinions and experiences from our uh, challenges. Yeah, the uncomfortable silence name is that's us. <laughs> we were quiet. We were kept it in the four walls of the house. And until it left the house and we trusted the people that were willing to help us, it remained silent. And uh, like Quentin said, we want to be preemptive to men mental illness. We, we are not afraid to get in the trench to deal with the difficulty or talk to people that it's uncomfortable what they're going through. We want them to know that we won't judge anybody and we want to treat them like we had so many people help us. So we hope you follow this. Um, this was Quentin's idea on something he wanted to do for the reasons he's mentioned. And I, I think it'd be great as someone that's dealt with young people for many, many years. Um, I, think, I think there's a lot of help to be offered by us and many others. Yeah. So visit, uh, we have our websites, uh, www.theuncomfortablesilence.org. Um, you can read more about us and what we're trying to do with it. Uh, we hope to eventually... Uh, share our story, doing public speaking stuff, and um, further than just this podcast. Um, but this will probably be posted to uh, just YouTube for the first one, I think, because we're going to try and get on um, Spotify and Apple. And But there's a lot more uh, barriers that you have to jump through for those than just uploading it on YouTube. Uh, so hopefully share this video. Uh, we have uh, about 120 followers on Instagram right now. We're hoping to grow that. So this will be on Instagram and YouTube. There will be clips posted. Um, so, yeah, thanks for watching if you made it this far. And uh, we'll see you next time with hopefully something more interesting. <laughs> thanks.